and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die. Welcome to this week's Toronto Till I Die. We are back in the house. Your host, Mike Newell, along with Mike Singh. I promise we will not kill you with the Mike Squared stuff or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> but it's been a, uh, a wild week for TFC. Three games in seven days. Um, and the last two coming out with only a point in a push to the playoffs. The latest, a 2-1 defeat to enter Miami in Miami. Lots to talk about in terms of that game and sort of where this leaves Toronto FC in its last dash push for the playoffs. Uh, but Mike, want to bring you in here. Uh, first of all, just how was your weekend? Obviously the result didn't go our way, uh, but uh, how did you enjoy uh, one of these uh, last weekends in, in August here? Yeah, it seems, I hate how you said that, one of the last weekends in August, it's just like blown by. Um, I'm happy, happy camper today. First off, thank you to everyone for actually bearing with us with this time change. Um, it actually, surprisingly, we're, Mike and I are actually both, unfortunately, in some regard, Manchester United fans. <laughs> so the reason I actually wasn't for to watch the game or anything, I actually just had a an impromptu sort of work meeting. So I appreciate everyone uh, bearing with us. And I know we're going at 5 p.m. today, a little bit later than usual. But Mike and I are both talking about it. We were coming in with, uh, with a bit of a smile on our face because Manchester United just got the better of Liverpool. So, you know, the weekend was a little bit of a downer based on the way the TFC is playing. But, you know, now I'm in, I got a little bit of a mood boost. Yeah, a little bit show. of uh, an additional skip in the step there. Uh, and they did it without... Uh, Ronaldo, which is good uh, in my books. Uh, so anyway, this is not a uh, Manchester United uh, podcast. Maybe we'll uh, start one of those up in the future. Uh, but we are talking TFC. And, and look, um, you know, we'll get right into it. I mean, I think that a lot of people going in this weekend, a lot of TFC fans were hoping that this team could come out with a result and put themselves in a a decent position to sort of make a final push over these last uh, eight to seven games uh, to try to get that final playoff spot in the Eastern conference. But alas, it didn't turn out that way. Mike, I, I didn't get to watch this game live. I had to watch it the next day, but you know, when watching it, what really struck me was as much as there's kind of a, a, a gloom factor to the result. And of course, we're going to get to the big moment uh, in a second. That I think a lot of you want to talk about or continue to talk about. Um, I thought TFC in the first quarter of the game played pretty well, right? They, they controlled the game for the most part. And if it isn't for aforementioned big talking point, uh, you know, I think it, it kind of moots what actually, from a possession-wise perspective and attacking perspective, was a decent start by the team. Yeah, it, it, it was a decent start. Uh, they came out hungry, had a little bit of a jump to their step. Obviously, I, I think it's worth mentioning their third match in a week, uh, span of seven days. 
So they came out hot, but you could tell as the match wore on that the tire legs uh, eventually kicked in and it looked like a completely different Toronto FC team from the opening 45, in my opinion, to, to sort of the final 45. But we'll get into more of that later. And then just, I'm sure, because we're going to talk about it, I, I did like the response after the Bono goal. I think the team responded in a really good way, not just Lorenzo and Sinia's goal, although another another banger from Lorenzo, more so just the way that they they got back on the front foot and they started to continue to create chances. It's like it didn't really phase them, but I think the real backbreaker there was was the second goal, giving that up right before halftime. So, yeah, incredibly disappointing because when you take a look at the standings, Inter-Miami is now in seventh place. They're the team that we're going to have to catch. And giving away three points like that, I'll say giving away because I think TFC honestly had that game, and they should have. They yeah. Again, another game we can raise our hand and say, probably the way better team uh, at the end of it. But uh, that's the bounces sometimes, and uh, TFC didn't get enough going their way. Yeah, and and look, I I think that, uh, you know, we talked about it a bit yesterday on the Tunnel Club. I I think a lot of people, or a lot of fans, I think, are rightfully upset in a sense that it, it was a game that, like you said, was there to be had. It was a result that was there for them to take. And you have this moment of madness. And I don't want to beat, I don't want to beat on this too much, but it's it's an it, it's inevitable to talk about. You have to talk about it, unfortunately. And it it's it's the Alex Bono howler. You know, Ray yeah. Hudson called it squid, his hand starts into squids, right? Like, yeah. Hey, look, uh, we we on this show, on, on the Tunnel Club, on other shows, the goalkeeping situation at Toronto FC has been talked about to death. So I don't know if there are more that we can add to it aside from, I, I think that, as I said in a, in a tweet after the game, as a, I love Alex Bono as a person. I think he's a great personality in the locker room. He's a great person. But from a footballing perspective, when looking at it in sort of cold objectivity, it might be time uh, to to move on or at least, you know, say, hey, maybe it's time to take a step back and be a number two and go out and find a number one, um, like somebody solid and reliable in that regard. Because Alex Bono in many ways is having a career year if you look at the stats, but there are too many of those type of moments from him and from Quinton Westberg too. Let's not pretend Quinton Westberg has not had those moments either. He definitely has, but as Bono has taken the majority of the reps this year, it, it, it just feels like there's always that one mistake, that one bad positioning moment on a shot away from conceding a Goal in many ways, and goal against uh, New England in midweek also kind of reflects that as well. I don't know what your thoughts on this, Mike. I, I know we talked about it a lot, but you know now it feels like there's some, I don't want to say finality to the fa- at least the fans' opinion. Obviously, 
Bob Riley doesn't have to listen to the fans and do anything we say, but there seems, at least from the fan base, some finality around, okay, it's time to move on from Alex Bono. I think it's been time for a very long time. I, I yeah. think this decision has been made uh, by the club for a long time. I think in the offseason, we're going to see Toronto FC bring in two new goalkeepers. But more than that, like, okay, the mistake happened. Like, we raise your hand. That's it happens, right? The thing that drives people crazy, and myself included in this, is that Alex Bono is sure he's not the perfect goalkeeper, but I would say his best asset and his best trait is his, his ability to shot stop or shot stops, stop shots. Yeah. Right? He's a shot stopping goalkeeper, and he's honestly he's good at that like he's made some important saves this year down the stretch he's he's unraveled here the last two games and if he's not stopping shots then what sort of value are you getting out of alex bono but again this is it's not like we have better alternatives at this point it's not like toronto fc have better alternatives at this point quentin westberg is injured and a lot of people are calling for, for Greg Ranjit Singh here in the chat. That's that's not gonna happen. That's not the you know, that's not the elixir here, guys. Like I've, hey, watched, hey. I've watched him play a couple times already this year for TFC two. He's it's not even close, Alex Bono's Well, I mean, there's a reason he's not starting for TFC two right now. Right? Like I know he he's up as a as a third goalkeeper considering Quinton Westberg is injured, but you know, Luca Garvin's been taking a lot of the reps at TFC to the draft pick um, for the club. So, you know, from that perspective, um, I get it. I get a lot of people, you know, would want to see change. But I don't think right now, yes, Silence Bono had that moment. But I think a, I think what we really need to talk about in many ways is the second goal. And I'm jumping the gun a little bit here in the order um, because the question did come in um, from Karen McCabe just asking, you know, uh, can we talk about the second goal and what broke down in that sort of defending on that, t- uh, on that goal? Because in a lot of ways, there's a lot of things that TFC are starting to improve in, in terms of having... Bernadeschi and Insigne and Richie back and, you know, having, well, when he's fit, Mark Anthony K um, and Dominica Crescito. But um, the defending on that set piece was just kind of indicative of what the team has been doing all season in terms of set piecing, set piece defending, which is kind of losing marks and kind of ball watching at times. I don't know if you felt the same. Yeah. I don't know if that's, that's fair. If they've been doing it all season. Um, there have been definitely moments where set pieces they needed to be better, and especially early on in the year, I think that was that was a trend. Lately, I think they've been a lot better at it. Uh, this seems like one of the rare occasions that they, from a set piece in particular, at least I I thought they switched off um, when the ball gets played short to Pozuelo. Some guys at the far post lose lose track of their their runner they instead in a sense get caught ball watching because as i believe it was io as io goes out to close down the ball 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a big body that you're taking out of the middle of the park first off. So you don't really love to see Io being the one that's that's chasing at that point. Um, and then the far post. Uh, I think it was I think it was Jonathan Osorio that cheated a little bit and yeah, pushed up it. a little bit too far. And then I, I thought Lucas McNaughton might have could have been could have done a little bit better yes. um, in terms of sticking with the guy that was right beside him. He keeps the if you watch the replay, I think he jumps up and kind of heads the air in front of him, as opposed to you know just getting on getting on a body, making it difficult for um, an attacker. So yeah, you know it's it's that like I said off the bat, that's a deflating goal to give up, especially as you as you battle back and you start to gain some momentum. Um, and then you, you have that sort of defensive breakdown, that which TFC are never able to recover from. Uh, just, yeah, not a, not a great goal to, to concede. And that's been the trend these last two games. If you look at, I would say, all four of TFC's goals, they've given up oh, against New England, the two, and then the two against Miami. Just four goals you shouldn't be conceding. Agreed. And the, the first one against New England, I can kind of forgive um the the second one uh, though uh, i feel like that is a, a a simple just one it was a good run but also just the the line not stepping and not recognizing the danger that could be in behind uh for this particular one i i just found again even with Osorio stepping you know his back is to the play as the ball's being headed i i think there's a little bit of ball watching there and Ariel Lasseter just gets in sort of in the back of everybody and is able to get sort of a free run at the second ball um, and, and puts it by Bono. Uh, and at that point, that like you said, it's kind of a backbreaker to concede that just before halftime. When again, even after get the Bono howler, you you sort of get back into the game. You start to get your foot back on the ball and and are making really nice connections amongst the attacking players. And, okay, the, the, the Insigne goal is fantastic, right? It's a belter, um, it, it, you know, but it kind of comes a little bit out of nothing, a bit of a broken play. But, you know, that's kind of how you need to keep yourself in games and keep yourself in leads because these guys can create something out of nothing sometimes. Even when guys are, you know, teams are sitting back or, or being a little bit more defensive, you know, you get a moment like that and then to concede that goal uh, just before halftime and put yourself back down again, you're asking a lot, even from, you know, players as talented as Insigne and Bernadeschi. Yeah, especially the timing of it, too. Like, third third match in a week, like I said. These are guys who have played a lot of a lot of football, and I, I tweeted out, because I was in the Miami post-game presser after the match, and I tweeted out that quote from Phil Neville about Insigne, Bernadeschi, Kershito, probably never playing two games and then having to play a third in the hot Miami sun. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think that was so, so evident. Uh, the biggest reason why they weren't able to to come back is that you didn't have everyone kind of moving at the same time. Uh, even just the, the thinking of the game. That's what, when you get fatigued, like a lot of it is so, so much of it is mentally and the way that you're thinking the game and, and I thought that it was very clear that the Insigne and Bernadeschi's in particular, even Krishita all thrown to that mix in the second half against Miami is a completely different version of the player that we've seen uh, through the first stretch of their time here. So, yeah, it's a, 
it's it's very it could be it could be the one that comes back and you look at that that loss and be like that's the one that's that's pushing us out at the end of the season yeah i think it it definitely has that feel right that's that's the result you kind of needed uh even the point against new england though not ideal you know that still kept you in the the mix it feels like this loss though doesn't put you out there they are five points now back of the final playoff spot uh given results around the league this weekend so they're not out of it by any stretch but they're going to have to really put together they're pretty much not going to be able to drop points or very many uh going forward i don't think they can really afford to drop any uh going forward but this feels like the this might be the mountain a little too high to climb at this point, uh, given not just the amount of points that they have to cover, but as we mentioned before, the teams that they need to leapfrog and some of the teams that are behind them too, because they're level on points with Chicago and Atlanta and goal difference. And I think wins are what's keeping them behind them in the table officially. So yeah, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, it felt like before the the Miami match that everything was kind of in their fate. They they controlled their destiny in some regard. They win the games they need to win. They'll be into the postseason. Now I'm not sure that can be realistically perceived as the case. I think if they go down the stretcher, there's what six games remaining. If they go down the stretcher, six or seven. Seven, uh, I believe seven okay if they go down the stretch here and they pick up 21 out of a possible 21 points sure but then you're also playing montreal you're playing the la galaxy you're finishing the season away to the philadelphia union like are those games you can realistically head into and be confident that you're going to pick up nine out of nine points in at the end of those matches like i think i think you approach each game like you should but from a realistic perspective, are you picking up nine out of nine points? I don't know. So it, it seems to me like they, they're going to need a little bit of help here. And they've they've got it last night, to be honest with you, with some of the results. There were a couple draws that were mixed in there. So the gap could actually could have been a lot worse than, than the five-point gap we're talking about today. But uh, I guess... I guess as a, as a... As a fan, as someone who covers this team... It's been just to, to wrap up my thoughts here. It's been it's been positive seeing them improve and play the football the way that they they know you know they've shown the direction that they're heading. It's it's a good positive direction. I just hope that this you know not potentially not qualifying for the playoffs. I hope that doesn't take out the wind from their sails towards the end of end of this year because you're starting to see some some frustration I think come out in the players. Yeah, and, it, and here's the, I mean, I'll ask you, you know, in in some of the post-game pressers from the game, you know, in terms of some of the body language near the end of the game, I'm not saying, like, like the, look, these are professionals, they're going to come out and play every single match, but I guess should there be a bit of a, and it's going to be hard for professional players because their thoughts are win every match, get maximum points, get yourself in a position to to win trophies. But maybe this is probably maybe a better question for a fan base perspective. But 
you know, should the thought now be about looking to 2023 and looking for the positives in terms of moving this group to the next phase of this rebuild in 2023, when you start seeing a healthy and rested Insigne, Bernadeschi, Crescito, going to have Lorea for at least half of the season. Uh, Mark Anthony K will now should presumably be fit by then, you know, maybe you have a, num- a new number nine in there, which a lot of people are asking for, you know, should that be the focus for people right now? Or are we still, we still in let's hunt for that playoff spot mode. Realistically, 2023 should probably be what people get excited about because there is a reason to be excited. I mean, come on. Anyone who's watching the matches sees exactly why there is reason to be excited about this team. But I I don't think we're we're closing the book yet on 2022, closing the chapter yet. Like I said, this is a team when you watch them play, every game that they've played that Insigne and Bernadeschi have been on the pitch, they've been the better team. And I, I don't even think it maybe one or two games it's close, but for the most part, it's not even close. This is the team that literally every time they step on the pitch, they have the potential to pick up all three points. And we've seen it in the past where teams go on heaters towards the end of the year. I just hope that these two results that TFC had, especially six-point games, don't put a bit of a damper on it within that dressing room and like affects their belief at all. Because it is, it's still possible. They just need to do something spectacular here down the stretch. Well, yeah, one point out of six uh, when you have those those two six pointers are, are is is rough. It's it's definitely uh, tough. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Jacinda it, it makes a good point there. Uh, I think there's a lot of reason to be excited about this op- upcoming off season. Um, in terms of the moves the club's going to make, and it's clear they're going to be making uh, quite a few moves uh, to bolster the roster. We talked a bit about it on the Tunnel Club in terms of, you know, the number nine position. Do you need to reevaluate that? You know, do you need another central midfielder? You'll have to see about the Jonathan Osorio situation and his contract and, and what gets worked out or not worked out. Uh, and then, you know, do, do you look to bolster at center back? Do you look to add another center back? Things like that. So those are things to be excited about. And obviously then, of course, the way the team is playing at the end of the season, uh, you know, in terms of how they're connecting, it, it's probably been a little, it, they probably gelled a lot faster than I think a lot of people probably expected them to. Uh, yeah. Coming, you know, having all these new players immediately inserted into the starting 11 what were your sort of expectations, Mike, in terms of these guys coming in right away and and, and making things happen? I knew you knew they were going to be good. You knew these were going to be good moves, but did you think they would gel so quickly? You know, bringing all three of them onto the pitch at the same time, uh, I thought would help uh, for sure. I still think they're not, especially these last two games, there seems to be a growing disconnect, actually in my opinion, as opposed to the team gelling together. Because we were coming off a high against the Portland Timbers last Saturday before we did our last show. And then obviously the game against Charlotte. And every team, every game up to that that Portland game, 
aside from the Vancouver Canchamp final, it looked like the guys on the pitch were were starting to get better. But I think this this week was actually a little bit of a step back in from that regard. Um, it seemed like just habits of, of MLS were kind of starting to kick in where it seemed like TFC were forcing the ball to the Italians a little bit more than they did in the past. I thought that was one of the best things about the Charlotte game off the bat when they first arrived was that they weren't TFC were actually playing football. They weren't necessarily forcing the ball to the Italians and then kind of watching and seeing what can they produce. They were making runs. Other uh, like Mark Anthony K darting through the middle, Jesus Jimenez making the runs in behind, and they're they were playing them. They weren't forcing the ball to the Insignes and the Crescita. Like it was, I thought that was the biggest. Uh, asset that this team had going forward is that they understood the threat that the Italians were, but they had other players that could really step up and, and contribute. Um, and that's been lost over this last stretch. So I hope that they can, they can get back to that. And I think I really do believe like the Italians as, as good as their goals have been and as important they've been to TFC's um Ability to find the back, and then I believe all three Italians have combined for something like 11 of TFC's last yeah. 13 goals. So in that regard, production-wise, absolutely. But I think just watching the football, I think there's there's still more to come from from these guys. I don't think we've seen the best out of either of these guys yet. Fair enough. And another player that's sort of making an interesting like, transition again is Jaden Nelson, and I know his name gets brought up a lot in the, by the fan base in good ways and a lot of bad ways too. Um, but now he's kind of shifted a little bit into a more of a midfield role, given Mark Anthony K's uh, absence from the team. And look, he, again, he's still Jaden. He's still, you know, decision-making sometimes is a little bit of, of something he's still working on, but he's also looked quite comfortable at times connecting with Lorenzo and Sinier, especially and getting, and I guess maybe being a little bit more aggressive and, and, you know, playing a little bit simpler. Do you see this as potentially a spot for him, not as a starter per se, because Mark FVK probably will take his spot back once he is fit, but as a depth piece going forward, you know, Jaden Nelson being used in that midfield role? I think he's shown that he can do a serviceable job there if if needed to. Um, I think his his versatility will only be an asset to this team moving forward. And me and Jeff kind of alluded to it. Like right now in this version of the team, he's like a he's like a Nick DeLeon or a Subasa Endo, where you can kind of slot him in to any one of these sort of midfield roles, and he'll give you at this point MLS quality minutes. I think moving forward. That is a that is an area he can come in off the bench and and give TFC um, something there that they don't really have too much of on the bench right now. But I also say that with knowing that this TFC's bench is going to look a lot different come twenty twenty three than it is this at this point this season. So it's kind of tough to make that that sort of call. I mean. Circling back to Nelson, like he can play on the left wing, he can play on the right wing, he can play through the middle. Like he's 
he's shown that he has taken steps forward. Um, I loved it. I love his game so far this this last stretch. And he looks like a more confident player than I think we've we've ever seen out of Jaden Nelson. I think that's the biggest thing with him is when he's he's confident. He's not trying to do too much. You have to you have to appreciate what you're seeing out there from a 19 year old kid who uh, whose ceiling just seems to get higher and higher with every game. So you're not having my uh, headline in the rundown of midfield midfield maestro question mark around Jaden Nelson. Not having that. <laughs> <laughs> not quite, especially <laughs> in a 4-3-3 where you know I actually the one thing I actually didn't even mention was just the amount of work that Jaden Nelson does uh the amount of ground that he covers I thought that that's also like such an important part of playing that position especially when you're playing next to a guy like Michael and, and Ozo guys who are you know they're they cover a lot of ground but they're not the necessarily the most fastest and grittiest like uh, types of players um, when it comes to winning the ball back. So adding him into that mix, uh, I think it, it, it's an interesting element, but I think Mark Anthony K probably uh, probably does it a little bit better. Oh, for sure. And, and like I said, he Mac will take his spot back once he is fully fit, but I think that's a good option to have in the future in terms of somebody who can look Jaden Nelson's first step, um, with the ball at his feet is maybe one of the fastest oh, yeah. in MLS. Uh, and the way he can get away from people is, I, I don't know if you have another player that can really do that with as much control as Jaden. I mean, DeAndre curse kind of close, but I don't think he has the same type of control on the ball uh, as Jaden does at this point uh, in, in their career. But that's a, that's a healthy option to have. And I think again, to your point, the reason I bring that up is I, I want Toronto FC fans to still kind of be be happy and optimistic, even though the the road to the 2022 playoffs may may have a lot of potholes in it at this point, because I think <laughs> there's there's a lot of there's a lot of positive things that are actually happening with the club. There are obviously glaring holes that need to be addressed and will be addressed in the off season. Um, but when you're watching this team play right now, I clearly see a way forward in terms of this club. And a year ago, we were nowhere near that in terms of sort of understanding how we were going to get back to being a, not just a world beater, trouble winning team. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about being a competent MLS club that can compete uh we're, we're getting back to that stage uh at this point um one thing you want to bring up um from this game and and i'd love to get your thoughts on it and a lot of thoughts um from the fan base and we again this got brought up a little bit on the telecom we didn't dig into it too much was jesus jimenez being left at home uh during the game and essentially bob bradley telling reporters telling yourselves that you know, he needed a mental recharge, left him in, in Toronto uh, and decided to go with Inafuniachi Achara uh, as sort of the next forward option off the bench. You know, what was your sort of read on that um, from Bob? And were you surprised? I could ask, were you surprised? I'm sure you were, because I think everybody was surprised that he didn't even travel with the team. Um, but what was your sort of read on on that particular sort of news note out of Saturday's game. 
Yeah. So I have the quote here, and and he was Bob was obviously asked about Jesus and and his his situation, and Bob's answer was, "Yeah, simply put, I think physically he's empty right now. I told him we have to get him back to where he was, where he has full energy, full capacity." I said, let's leave you behind this game and give you a couple days to sort of recharge your battery and get going again beginning of the week. To me, that's a head scratcher. Yeah. Uh, That's an absolute head scratcher uh, because I know Bob's talked about this in the past and Jesus isn't at his best when he starts to get fatigued and tired. But this is a moment with the season winding down playing a team that's your direct competition to qualify for a playoff spot. You come in saying you're, you're treating every game like it's a final. You have a week in between your next game. So you have a, essentially a week off in between games. He's just him and as didn't even play 90 minutes. The last two games that like combined he played 25 minutes off the bench, I believe, against New England, and then about 60 against Portland last Saturday. In a game that essentially should be treated like a, a must-win, or at least a must-not-lose, how do you not even bring him on the trip just to have him as an option for 15 minutes in the match? To me, that that doesn't make sense, especially when you look at Toronto FC's bench and you're, you're looking at that, and it's very underwhelming in terms of the pieces that can come on and actually make a difference. Jesus Jimenez could have been one of those people. Not like he has been. He has been great over this last stretch, but I'd rather take a Jesus Jimenez at 70% as opposed to some of the other options that were, were on the bench there. So, again, I, I think overall... I, I it feels like there must have been something more there, something else, perhaps, or maybe it was a little bit uh, glossed over in terms of how deflated Jesus was or how empty of a tank that Jesus had. Because, I, again, I'm, I'm at a loss for it because I, I, the decision doesn't make sense to me at this time of the year. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think the debate between... Io and Jesus Jimenez now have been going on for a couple weeks, and look, I, I, I'm probably more in the Io camp than Jesus Jimenez, though I recognize his skills and what he brings to the team. But I agree with you that in a game like this, even if you don't plan to start him, even if the the plan from the from the off was Io will get the start to not have him on the bench and you're a forward option essentially was a Chara who I don't think has played more than 200 minutes this year. Maybe mm-hmm. um, it, it is, it is a bit of a head scratcher. And I guess uh, I, from what I'm the, the, the comments I'm hearing from Bob in terms of, and this is just my interpretation of them. I'm, I'm not saying he's a fact or anything like that feels like he's not a hundred percent happy with what Jesus is giving in terms of effort in terms of the things that he wants to see his number nine do, which is to press a little bit more when they don't have the ball 
be able to be a bit more dynamic and stretch the field when in possession. And I, and I wonder if there's starting to become a disconnect between Jimenez and Bradley. And if that has maybe something to do a little bit with Pozuelo leaving and him building that chemistry with Alejandro Pozuelo and now that being gone and that connection that they may have banked on in terms of him and Insigne and Bernadeschi is not quite connecting the way they had hoped they, they, that they probably foresaw this when they drew up the plan uh, back in the off season. Yeah. I think that's, that's a lot of it is that um, the other thing is with, with Jesus and I'm not saying this is all the case here and Jesus has been a top class first class professional from my understanding for everyone that I talked to since he's arrived but every day at training Jesus would always walk out with with Paz and Carlos Salcedo and now you see him when he's walking out he's essentially walking out by himself like those I'm not sure if there's any other fellow speaking Spaniards on left well, on that Oh, so okay, yeah. Ozo, yeah. Ozo speaks in Spanish for sure. Um, but aside from Ozo, there's not other just Spanish. Like Ozo's Canadian, realistically. Um, so it's it's different bit of connection there. So I wonder if there's anything in from that sense that's gone on and harped on this. I mean, we talk about the way he fits in now alongside the Italians. Is it is it a matter of confidence based on the amount of the Italians are trusting him? And this is, has that rubbed off on Jesus? Because now Jesus feels kind of isolated on an island after sort of putting together such a fantastic body of work to start the season. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting case. But I also agree with you in, this, in the fact that it's tough because Bernadeschi was he, – well, he wasn't – like the plan was never to bring Bernadeschi here along with Insignia the whole time. So, but I think they misjudged how well Jesus and Lorenzo were going to connect right off the bat. And again, like I know it's, it's easy to debate at this point, you know, how poor Jesus Jimenez is and how bad of a player he actually is. But like, I'm not willing to write off Jesus. I think he, what he's shown and what he's done over the course of his career is that he is, he has the potential to be a consistent, prolific goal scorer. He's done it. And I think this recent stretch, it just seems like he's he's lost here a little bit, and the team has to find a way to kind of get him back going, get him back on track. Um, and maybe it, the answer is he he just simply can't right now with Lorenzo and Sanya and Bernadette and the style of play that TFC are playing. Maybe he just isn't the type of profile that... Um, that works as a number nine in Bob Bradley's system with the players that TFC have. My argument has been that with Insigne and Bernadeschi, you need a number nine who is going to more often than not run in behind, stretch defenses, hold the ball up, um, and provide a target for both of those players to either play off of or send balls into the box. Because... As much as Bernadeschi and Insigne are, are scoring goals for this club right now, I think they, along with Crescito, I think they've scored the last 
eight goals for the team or something like that, like in terms of between the three of them, mm-hmm. they're not historically or traditionally like goal poachers. That That's not traditionally their roles. I know Insigne scored quite a few goals for Napoli, but you know, that that's not quite their, their forte. They can, if obviously they need to, but I think the idea was to have somebody playing above them that would be able to convert chances that those two create for, for them. And, and, for sure. and I think IO's not quite there in terms of being able to convert those chances at this point. I like, I'm not saying that he's, <laughs> not, you know, but yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean, right? Like I think they need somebody in that mold who just can finish. Um, and this came up on the tunnel club yesterday, whether or not to use, I know it's not in the rundown, but I'd love to get your thoughts is in terms of using that DP spot on a number nine. And I don't think you necessarily need to do that in MLS. Um, I, I think that DP can spot can be used elsewhere, but you, you, they need to find, again, I don't know what that profile of player is, whether, yeah, maybe not a Brandon Vasquez type, but maybe that's a wrong example. But you know, you need someone who can who can be almost like a chicharito in a way, right? Somebody who is going to stay in between the goalposts and be a guy who can poach stuff that's created from Insigne and Bernadeschi. That's my read. I don't know what your read is on it, but that's kind of and and I'd love to you know hear from the audience right now. So throw it in the comments what you think in terms of number nine spot because I know that's a hot debate right now. Um, in the sort of hashtag TFC live community. Yeah. I feel like we have this conversation like every weekend (laughs) they make the case for spending on that DP number nine, each time they, they hit the pitch, uh, and I but again, I'll echo what I've been saying the whole time. I think where TFC spends their designated player spot ultimately comes down to, to Jonathan Osorio and what, what happens there with, uh, with his future with the club. Now, I also think like they've gone out, they spent a lot of money on Jesus Jimenez. Like they've invested a lot into the player. When you spend that much, the production should be better. So it's not like TFC, like if you go out and you you spend a get a DP number 9. It's it's less so about the cal- quality and caliber of the player in my opinion right now than it is the fit of the player. So I think you can get a fit at Jesus Jimenez's price tag that would come in and do exactly the job you need out of a number nine. So I don't think That's it's necessary. Yeah, I don't think it's absolutely necessary to spend that at a DP number nine. Would it be fun? Yeah, it'd be, it'd be Well, yeah, of course. Of- like if a Robert Lewandowski or, or someone like that becomes available, of course, yes, go get that player. Right. If you can get a world class number nine who fits exactly what you need in terms of that profile striker, of course, no one's going to bat an eye if you used your DP spot to get that player. I just don't think it's necessary to use that spot on a number nine. If you can't, if, if that per, if that player doesn't fall into your lap or have an opportunity to come, I think there's other places where that DP spot could be spent. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things we're kind of glossing over here is just how much this team defensively needs help. And one of the best ways to do that, as we've seen, is to get in a midfielder who is so good at keeping possession and keeping the ball. Like if TFC go out and get a DP number nine, like 
games are going to be like six five, right? It's that's. <laughs> I mean, for not, the fans, that, that could be fun. Maybe, yeah. right? Baseball games every day. I talk about it. Let's go like, <laughs> into these six five games. But yeah. no, to be to give good football team, I think you have to be a little bit more well rounded than that. Absolutely. And when you're already spending two DP slots on attackers, I'm not sure that's the best way to spend the DP slot. But a lot can change based on the other moving parts on this roster. If they go out and they get two quality center backs who are non DPs, Osorio resigns bringing another depth piece at center mid like okay like we can talk about that dp9 number nine conversation but it's there's a lot of moving parts here for us to say objectively that this team needs a dp number nine because i don't think it's necessarily the case i think what they need is Jesus jimenez to play up to his potential and his price tag or get a player of that ilk and one that can play up to that price tag at number nine because i think that'll be more than enough so if we're saying right now, let's look at 2023 at this point. Let's start start looking out to that. I know, I know, we're an early look, of, an early look, an early look. Do you do you keep Azus Jimenez here, right? Because if you're if if that's the idea, that okay, you could if all these sort of ideal situations work out, and you can use a DP spot at number nine. Do you keep them? Right. Is he is it worth keeping him on the money that he's on on essentially Max Tam, I believe. No, uh, no, no he's not on Max Tam. It's like seven hundred K. Okay, fair enough. Do you keep do you keep him at that and IO on young money as well? Yeah, IO Young Money is more so about the slot than the price tag. Like the price tag is nothing. It's like 150k on the salary cap. Mm-hmm. So IO, yeah, I think IO you keep regardless because he's a guy who's rehabbing from a knee injury. Um still very young. Has good starting points, uh, just kind of needs to piece it all together technically and and really work back a hundred percent from that that knee injury. Um, Jesus, at this point today, it's tough to just say you objectively, definitively have to bring him back. It's tough to say that, um, but a lot can change down the stretch here. Like if Jesus Jimenez gets a goal and starts to get going here, like it turns into the, the Jesus that was, he showed through the first, I don't know, 10, 15 games this season. Then, yeah, it's probably worth keeping him around. But if he's closer to what he has been, then you need to have some serious conversations because I know this is a TFC team that wants to do everything it can to compete at the highest level come 2023. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting dilemma that's kind of arisen because I don't think that was necessarily in the cards at all halfway through the year. Well, it, just to wrap the book on sort of the Jesus Jimenez number nine talk, it is interesting to see that, you know, you're connecting it back to the Pozuelo sort of situation. It's interesting that the form really started to tail off once those rumors about Pozuelo potentially being traded started to swirl around, right? Like the, the form... The form was already slightly off, so I don't want to necessarily say it was all about that. But the nosedive, the noticeable nosedive in terms of sort of that energy and effort um, really started to dip once those rumors started to become concrete about a potential uh, Pozuelo trade. So, you know, hopefully there's an opportunity for him to, to kick on in these last seven games and maybe comes in and plays a critical role in some type of run whatever it looks like hopefully it's uh it, it's uh, a run that he can go on and sustain and, and hopefully fire the team toward closer towards a playoff spot um 
let's close it out here um, with a couple of uh, burning questions because some of these are interesting. Um, George tweeted into us earlier in early or late last week, just in regards to playing teams playing low blocks. This is something that we we noticed in obviously the second half of the game on Saturday and in in the New England game, and you know the only team that really sort of came out and tried to play them and got smoked with Portland, but. You know, how do in in your mind, how do teams beat how do TFC beat low blocks or quote unquote anti football? Uh, you know, putting sort of two blocks of four or five um, behind the ball and and saying, hey, we'll, we'll we'll be happy to try to beat you on the uh, on transition. That's if I knew that answer, I'd be the coach. Uh, <laughs> no, I, that, Everywhere in the world, like we look around, teams playing a low block, and it's tough to break down. Like, look at tonight's today's game: Manchester United versus Liverpool for sixty minutes, seventy minutes of the match. Man United dropped back and played in a low block and just tried to hit Liverpool quickly off the counterattack. The best way to break that down is getting creative, right? Being a word Bob Bradley's thrown around recently is sharp. Sharpness, the timing of your runs, the timing of your passes. Can you time your run to essentially perfection where you're leaving the back line for dead there um, and getting played in at the perfect time? You know, little things like that. And I think that's that's a lot of what, what missing through the middle with TFC right now. Um, not necessarily the middle of the park in terms of Ozo, Michael, and, and Jaden, although Jaden's probably a little bit guilty of that in terms of he does disrupt the timing a little bit of tfc the flow that tfc want to play but also io i thought io um like technically it's always been io he's just there's something that he leaves to be desired in that regard josie wasn't to be honest wasn't the best of that either in terms of the fact that took a little while to make a pass and his passes aren't always accurate his touches aren't always clean and that takes away from the overall sharpness of of the team the timing and and everything that that you're trying to do there to break down a low block. So, um, yeah, like I, my, what I would ideally like to see is a team just kind of be a little bit more creative and sharp at the top of the box and play some giving goes to the top of the box, you know, not become too, too predictable, but it's easier, easier said easier than, said than done. Yeah. I think <laughs> one of, one of the things that, Maybe Stephen Colwell uh, mentioned in the podcast was just moving the ball a lot quicker. Um, there, there, there's times where players are taking a, an extra touch, are, are taking an extra moment to make a decision on what option to take, and it just gives the defenders enough time to reset and get their bearings, and at that point, be able to just be able to deal with everything in front of them, right? Um, and I noticed a little bit of that when, when TFC get really good, um, and there was a bit of this on Saturday where they were able to play those one twos really quickly and either found Richie or also in great space, uh, to potentially create opportunities. But there are also times, and whether this is Jaden or sometimes it's even also sometimes, um, it's Insigne, they'll get the ball, they'll kind of kill it for a second or two, and that just gives the defense a, a chance to settle and get into their positions and get into their lines and make sure that, you know, no one's dropped too deep to, to play people on side and, and things like that. And it gets a little easier to play uh, TFC when you just can keep them in front of you. Now, obviously 
again, uh, Insigne created a bit of magic on Saturday with sort of a broken play. But, you know, that's, to me, I, I kind of noticed that as well, is if the ball moves a little bit quicker, you can unsettle a, unsettle a low block uh, and create a lot of chances that way. Of course, again, part of that is having those pieces that can play and have the mindset to play that way. And that's not all there quite yet. That's the thing too. You have to have runners as well, right? You have the guys willing to make the runs in behind and, and make the runs down the flanks, which, you know, the flanks that they've been really good at that, that moving forward. But then once you're at the flank, you have to guys have the guys that are committing and making runs into the box. So there's a lot of moving parts to, to, to it. It also depends what exact version of a low block uh, you're seeing like against uh, New England, we saw them drop five back across. Mm-hmm. So there, you you know, the flanks are essentially mitigated to an extent. There, you perhaps have to get more creative with some of your giving goes through the middle. Um, so yeah, you know, a little like every everything's so different. So um, it's tough for us to just sit here and say this is what you need to do. Or I guess in a way, it's easiest for for us to mm-hmm. sit here and say that's what you need to do. But that's definitely. A lot more to it. <laughs> yeah, this is an, a burning question. But this is something I, I, this came up in in the Tunnel Club, and, and I'd love to get other people's uh, thoughts on this if, if you weren't in the Tunnel Club. And I've seen this also tweeted out as well. Um, so take that as a sort of proviso on, on this uh, comment. But <laughs> I, I feel like people... There, there are certain there's certain parts of the fan base that are obviously ecstatic with Insigne, you know, three goals, what three assists, four assists, um, in six games uh, since he's come to to the squad or started playing with the squad. So that is, you know, extrapolate that over a season. That's MVP, you know, numbers. But I get this feeling that there's some people that are just not exactly happy with him right now. And, and it's nitpicking. I, the, so the comment was about him maybe not making certain runs in attack, whether it's to get in behind, um, runs towards the back post, things like that, where he can maybe lose a defender. Obviously, he's not winning balls in the air or anything like that. This is insane, right? The, the, the talk of that is nuts, isn't it? Like I, I get the frustration. Uh because I think, to be honest, while the goals have been spectacular, I think there is there is still more to give here from Lorenzo. And hmm. there are times where, you know, he's running at defender when they lose the ball and he doesn't really give a, a full effort. But I say that in saying that you knew that, like everyone knew, if everyone anyone has watched Lorenzo and Insigne play or this caliber of, profile or whatever you want to call it like anyone who's seen someone like that play that that's very rarely the case um they're not necessarily complete complete footballer like they're guys who are very good with the ball moving forward and make your team better in so many ways um but yeah there is there is always going to be that it's i think seba even had it when he was here Everyone's like, man, like, can't this guy just work a little bit harder? Can't this guy do this just a little bit more? But you got to appreciate kind of what's in front of you. And what, well, <laughs> and what's I'm not even talking about defending. Everybody knew that his job is not to track back, although he does do it actually fairly. Yeah, he does. Quite a bit. 
Um, but more on, again, that offensive end of, you know, he kind of hangs out around the top of the 18, just outside the 18, not making back post runs and things like that, or not trying to run in behind. That was the complaint. I I kind of get it to a certain extent, but again, I also that's if you've seen Lorenzo and seen you play, as you said, that's what he is. That's that's the player you bought. You bought a player that can, you know, hit that ball in a it bend it into the top corner, hit a volley out of the air, keep it down somehow with the instep and put it in into the low far corner. You know, be able to to crisply connect with you know players around him, whether it's Crescito, whether it's he swings in the inside and connect with Bernadeschi or Osorio and make things happen that way. I don't think you bought a guy to to make back post runs and hit headers. No, on, he's, on he's like five foot, he's like five foot two, like, and he's not the fastest guy either. He's mm-hmm. definitely got a good couple of first steps and definitely blaze past the defender once he gets a step on him but he's not a guy who's just simply going to uh to beat you strictly with pace so yeah it's uh i think it's a little bit of frustration i think there's one play in particular where the broadcast might have said that you know if lorenzo and sydney was pointing out your exact point if he was gambling their far post he might have had a chance on a play um instead he kind of hangs back but yeah that's that's who the the player is and I think once TFC fans see a little bit more of Lorenzo, they'll start to understand exactly what he does bring to this team. And I think Bob Bradley and the coaching staff also need to figure out how to get the best out of out of a player and your your team by by understanding Insegna's tendencies day in, day out. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's been six games, guys, and he has three goals and three assists. He's fine. <laughs> He's going to be fine. Um, okay. Um, here are, here's another a question in from Giancarlo, uh, are, it, it kind of in the similar sense of the, the low block question, but it, you know, it goes in a little bit different just in terms of, are we getting too predictable to defend, uh, with the Italians of the wings? If so, what needs to be done to make them less predictable? I, I don't know if it's predictable per se. Um, I, I think the, the reason you have those wingers is because, you know, one, they can create magic, as we've said before, right? But also, you're starting to see a greater understanding of how they can use uh, Crescito on the left and Richie Larea on the right to make those underlying runs into the box and really be dangerous that way. So I, I don't know if predictable is the right word. I just think it goes back to the idea of, you know, teams playing a lower block and, and making it really difficult for them to find space to be as creative as, as they can be. Yeah. Well, I, again, I, I mentioned this earlier. I thought the best thing about the Charlotte game was just how they weren't necessarily willing to play Insigne, force a ball to Insigne every single time. Where now, you know, the last couple of games, it seems like that's been the case a little bit too much. I, mm-hmm. I agree actually, with, with John Carlos's uh, assessment there of kind of what's, what's been happening. Um, but at the same time, you also need players who can fill the void and are, when they do get the ball played to them, can do something with it. Not sure we've seen enough of that as well. So there is that balance where, like, what better option do TFC really have than forcing out it wide to either Insigne and Bertineski and, and hoping they can create something with Insigne, or sorry, with Crescito and, and Richie? 
I think that's kind of what we're seeing. Um, and I, I hope that they can kind of take this this week and to kind of reset that sort of philosophy um, because in order to be a very good team in this league, I think you have to uh, you have to be willing to play with all 11 players on the pitch. It's, it's no longer just a league where you force it to your best players. No, I, I agreed. And that's, I think, where, again, it comes to what we're, what to look forward to in 2023 when this team can fill in those gaps with players, whether they be MLS veteran, which I think is the route for they need to go for some of these signings or whether or not, again, you're bringing in more um, imports to, to try and bolster the squad. Um, but I agree. That said, though, I, like I said earlier, I, I do think there is a – I, you see Insigne talking to somebody like Jaden Nelson all the time um, and, and trying to get him to understand where to be and what to do with the ball and how to be more dynamic, not just try to knock it by somebody and, and run by them or just try to take them one-on-one all the time. It's about being able to be smart with his movements off the ball. Um, and I think that that is evolving uh, with this team. So uh, as much as, yes, maybe there is a little bit of that, sort of predictability, uh, I do think that that is going to change relatively quickly um, as, again, you plug in those holes, but also as a team gains a better understanding with each other. Um, and, you know, hopefully that that comes this Saturday against Charlotte away because uh, it's another massive six-pointer, right? Charlotte dropped points this weekend. Um, did they lose or did they draw? I thought they drew. No, they lost. They, they, they lost I last minute. Did they, they, did they lose last minute? I thought they might they have could lost have lost the last minute. Yeah. Um, yeah, they did. They lost to Orlando. Um, I believe they lost to Orlando last minute. So, um, you know, that that's right. that's a team you can reel in uh, and, and get another spot. And then you're hoping for, again, results uh, elsewhere because they're going to need help at this point. The, the loss in Miami hurts in a lot of different ways from, from that perspective. Uh, Mikey, I think that's that's what we got for the the lineup. Any any last thoughts before we we wrap up today's show? Uh, no, like you said, a massive six pointer coming up. I believe TFC will get a boost as well, getting uh, our guy Mark Anthony K back into the lineup, which I think is is huge for this team, especially yeah, a team that needs a boost. So look out for his potential return on Saturday, and then. The good news, Mike, is that they play Inter-Miami one more time at BMO Field before the end of the year. So if they can take care of business between now and then, position themselves into a good spot here, then that game come the end of September, I believe it is, becomes even more even more massive. Yeah, that's the last uh, home game of the year, is it? Or the second last home game? It's, I believe it's the last home game of the yeah. year. Yeah. I think they only have three more, which is Wednesday, next Wednesday versus the Galaxy then the Sunday versus Montreal, and then the Inter-Miami game. So, uh, yeah, it's a uh, you know, tough tough week for TFC to sort of endure overall, but hopefully we're back next week and we're talking about this team in a little bit more of a positive light. And, hey, who knows? Maybe we even get a couple goals out of our out of our number nines. Yeah, absolutely. And we can stop answering questions about the number nine position. Um, yeah, so we'll, we'll set it up. Uh, obviously, we'll be back next week. Uh, with another edition of Toronto Till I Die. Jeff uh, will be back next week. Uh, so we'll be happy to, to have, uh, hopefully have the three amigos back. It, it, we'll see how schedules work and things like that. Um, the Tunnel Club will also be back next, uh, this coming Saturday. 
it might be a day after show we'll let you know uh if you follow at tfc tunnel club um if you're new to the show thank you for listening if you've been listening forever thank you for listening um like rate uh review if you can when you pick this up on podcast form that really helps us uh get this sort of beat the algorithm uh, and get us up there uh, in the standings. We're, 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 we're starting to trend up there in terms of the higher ranking uh, Canadian soccer podcasts uh, out there in the country, which is pretty neat considering we, uh, we, we just talked TFC. Um, we're, we're, we're hitting up there with some uh, big podcasts that have big production budgets. Um, so uh, we really appreciate you all listening and tuning in. Um, follow Michael Singh, like you don't already, but just in case you don't and you're new <laughs> here, follow him at Michael Singh 94. You can follow me at Football Saves on the Bird Box. Uh, and until next week, peace. We'll see you. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die.